All right. Anyway, so uh, that's what he does. He just head bangs or whatever. I don't know. And, uh, and he's here every single week. And that whole verse, just do everything to the glory of God, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ, is what I would kind of use to summarize Dan. Uh, he is, the reason why this is such a special moment is because to those things, he, he puts flesh to those kinds of verses. And, uh, and I'm honored and privileged to see him as a friend of mine and as a brother and have him speak here to you guys, which is going to be an incredible thing. So uh, let's just put our hands together for Dan as he speaks and shares the word for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Well, as Chinch said, my name's Dan, or like he sometimes calls me Dirty Dan. I'm not sure if I like that one quite yet. But I just want to say that I'm super pumped, super excited and honored to be able to preach tonight and be able to share the word of God with you guys. Um, it's cool to see what God is doing amongst everyone here at Village Youth, and Chinch is doing a great job. And I've just been so honored to even be the guy that does bass spins in the corner. I just love being able to see how much you guys engage in worship and love on each other, keep each other accountable. It's great. Like even going back or thinking just last week and how you guys had your summer kickoff, and uh, standing around, I started to look at everything going on and it reminded me of my time in youth group. And I realized that my time in youth group at a different church was probably the most impactful years of my life where I built a strong community, a tight friendship group that actually like, held me accountable, actually cared about me, pushed me to do the tough things in life. And it was the time of my life where I actually really took my faith seriously and grew my relationship with God. And so you guys have something special here and don't take it for granted. And just want to say once again, thank you for allowing me to preach to you guys tonight. So tonight I have the privilege of being able to talk on the story of creation. And so when I, when I share with you creation, I want to take a different kind of mindset to it. I want you to look at it in a way that is kind of like a story where God's trying to teach us something extremely important, some really important truths that are comforting, uh, bring peace and joy. I'm not going to get into all the literals, all the, the craziness when we talk about like the actual, like trying to figure out literal cre creation. Um, so with that in mind, I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that you can use a broken and a sinful person like me to be able to even uh, preach your word. Um, I pray that the Holy Spirit is able to speak through me and that the Holy Spirit is able to change and, and impact the hearts of everyone here tonight. Um, I love everyone here so much, but Lord, you love them even more. And so speak through me. Allow me to teach what you want me to teach. Amen. So if you want to write like one kind of header for all this, like one kind of goal that I want to get everyone to, I want you to write down aligning to God's plan set through creation. So that's kind of the goal that I want to work towards is align ourselves with his plan and we'll get to figuring all that out through this talk. So I go to the gym, I go like three times a week for like an hour or so, nothing crazy. I'm not one of those giant triangle guys that like look like they're going to topple over or anything like that, but I like to try and stay healthy. And when I'm at the gym, I always notice like some old friends that I might have seen or 
known from like high school, elementary school, or other things. And I usually like to just instigate conversations with them and get to know them a little bit more, see where they're at. And there was uh, one guy about a month ago that I didn't know him super well, but he came up to me and he was like, hey Dan, like how's it going? He started asking me about what I'm doing, my life, so I shared what I'm doing for work, all that kind of stuff. And he, um, he looks at my arm and he points, I was like, that's a sick tattoo. And he's like, oh, I see you've got a cross there. He's like, oh yeah, no duh, you're religious. I'm like, okay, so this is all this guy really knows about Christianity. And so, well, the whole point of my tattoo is to hopefully get conversations going. And so that's what I did. I started poking and prodding to be like, hey, like, what are you up to? How's your life going? Where are you at? All that kind of stuff. And uh, he started explaining where he was at. And I could tell that he was in a really like rough chapter of his life. And he was like searching for answers. And so I started asking what he's doing, what's he spending his time doing. He said, oh, I work nonstop, like way over time when it comes to work. I'm an electrician, trying to work my way up. I was like, okay, well, what do you do on your days off? He's like, I haven't had a vacation for like three years. Uh, but he's like, what I do do on the weekends is like I have this like phone line that people can phone me up if they have issues. Um, with their work or a, a difficult situation with friends or anything like that and I kind of talk through and help them out with that and I was like okay that's really admirable and I was like why do you do that he's like oh I love to to give back and I need to like try and be a nice guy as well and so I asked him okay what's your goal what are you trying to achieve with doing all this he's like I want uh, I want a really comfortable life I want to work my way up in my job make a lot of money uh, bring joy that way and uh, so we we kept talking about just our lives and I we went our separate ways and when I left the gym I started thinking to myself I said man why does this guy he seems like he has a lot going for him but why does he seem so sad why does he seem like nothing's going right for him and I started started to think about this I started to think about like why am I happy? Why do I have like motivation, all that? And I realized that we really, everyone innately tries to answer these four questions. And if you want to write these down, if you're a note taker, maybe write these questions down. So one being, where do we come from? Two being, who are we? Three being, where are we going? And four being, how do we get there? And if you don't realize this now, I think everyone secretly is trying to figure out the answers to these questions. And people believe in different religions, they believe in different ideas of thought, they put emphasis on their career, sports, relationships, all of that. But we're all really trying to figure out what plan do we, do we align to? What is that thing that is bigger than us that we can lean on when things suck? And so I thought about how is, he, how, how is this guy answering these questions? And he's answering them in a way where, where it's like, okay, where do I come from? Or who do I come from? It's like, he has no clue to that. He has no answer for that yet at all. He, who am I? He's like, well, I'm, I'm a guy that needs to work hard, make money, be smart, but also give back. And where am I going? Well, I wanna, I wanna have a comfortable life. I want lots of money, have joy that way, because once I'm dead, that's all I've got. And then how do I get there? Well, I'm just gonna work my butt off. I'm going to spend as much time as I can working, 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 because I want that comfortable life before I die, and I better do it fast, otherwise I won't get there. And I honestly think that that's probably the reason why he's feeling down. And so what I want to talk about when it comes to creation is I want to show you how creation actually answers these questions for us. It's the start. It's what points through the rest of the Bible, and the rest of the Bible is going to answer these questions, too. It's going to echo the answers that it's going to have from Genesis, from the first uh, chapter and two. And so, 
the one thing that we do have is we have this overarching story that the Bible is showing to us. And this overarching story is all about pointing to God's plan that he has for, us, has for us since the onset of creation. And so what I'm, what I'm going to do is we're going to just going to quickly, I'm going to paraphrase a bit through uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 25. And I want you, when I read through this, because it's a, it's a big chunk of scripture, but when I read through this, I want you to really think about, okay, what, not what is literally happening, but what is, how is God doing everything? What, like, functionally, how do things work? Is there an order? Is there a system? Like, what is God doing through all of creation here? So if you want to open up, it's the very first page of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Verse 6, it says, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And verse 8, it says, And God called the expanse heaven. Verse 9, it says, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. In verse 11, it says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on earth, and it was so. And verse 12 says, and God saw that it was good. In verse 14 it says, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. In verse 24, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And in verse 25, at the end, it says, And God saw that it was good. So right there is just like a quick, like, burn through like a bullet point, like boom, 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 this is what God did through all of creation. But there's a couple of things that I want to point out when we look, when we read through this. So when we look through this, we start to see that God is a God that's super functional, someone that's super meticulous, that has a spot for everything. He's super detailed and just, and wants everything to have its specific spot, its specific place. You look and throughout it, he's creating these like platforms and then putting something into these platforms. He's also taking things and he's separating them. He's even creating things like the two lights in the sky, like the sun and the moon, to even be a system to be able to um, designate like what's day and what's night. And then even the way that the earth revolves around the sun, we're able, it starts to create seasons, like God's creating order through everything that he's making. You look like God created like the heavens and the earth, so heavens and earth, and then he's like, oh, there's darkness. There's a platform, I'm gonna put light in it. I'm gonna separate the light from the darkness. And it's like, oh, I'm gonna create expanses now, like the sky and the waters. I'm gonna separate like the waters, but I'm gonna put dry land in there. And then on that dry land, I'm gonna put everything like vegetation and every living creature. And so what we start to see through this is that God 
want, has a purpose for everything. There's a system, there's a way to do it, and what he's actually trying to do, he's also showing his, just, his awesome power and his ability to create the magnificent, the amazing things. Like, anytime I go camping, I'm in the middle of absolutely nowhere, I can't help but just feel in awe of God's power and his presence. I feel so much more in tune with our, with our friendship, with our relationship, and it's because everything that God has made is so immensely great, and everything just screams his name and just praises him that I just, you can't deny it. To put into perspective kind of like how meticulous God is, um, there's a book called like The Creator and the Cosmos written by an astrophysicist named Hugh Ross. And he talks about that there are 25 factors that all need to exist in a very, very like narrowly defined ranges for any life to exist. And so he starts to explain just about one of these factors. And one of the factors is something to do with along the lines of that the number of electrons need to be equivalent to the number of protons to an accuracy of one part in 10 to the 37th. So I'm not a math guy or a science guy, so I don't under, truly understand how crazy that is, that ranges for how particular it needs to be, but we'll, uh, he explained it in a way that I could easily understand. For this to even happen, what we'd have to do is we'd have to cover all of North America with dimes, and we'd have to stack the dimes all the way up to the moon. And then we'd have to do this like a billion more times to the same size. And then what you would have to do is you'd have to paint one dime red. And then what you'd have to do is get a friend, blindfold them, and you'd mix all these billions of dimes all together. And the odds for this to happen for the amount of electrons to be equivalent to the number of protons to this accuracy, the person would have to, in the billions of dimes, just reach in blindfolded and pick out that one red dime. And he said for him, like this, alone shows that there is some sort of magnificent superior creator, someone that is in control and has made everything with a purpose. But the key thing for, I, I believe, for these first 25 verses is it's actually God going boom, 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 boom. These are all the bullet points of me showing or laying out his credentials for what he's about, what he's about to say next. So everything's really fast-paced going through it, but God's wanting to first just show you, understand what I can do, look at my resume, look at what I've already done and the purpose I have for it, for you to understand the truth that I'm about to tell you. Think about like if I was gonna get like open heart surgery, I'm not gonna let someone who just has like watched a YouTube video and was like, yeah, I can give it a go. Like I'm definitely not gonna put my life in that, hand, in that person's hands, like wouldn't trust him. I want some guy who can sit me down and lay out all of his credentials from med school. He needs to be top in the class. He needs to have tons of experience. I've done this a lot of times before for me to even trust him to put my life in his hands. So that's kind of what God's doing here. Before you can trust what I'm about to say, look at what I've just laid out for you. So we're going to read now verses uh, 26 in chapter 1 to about, well, to the end of the chapter, verse 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was the evening and there was the morning, the sixth day. So when God lays out his credentials, he wants to understand the emphasis that he wants to put on what's coming next. And what came next was when God, when we came into the picture, when God created humanity. Everything starts to slow down and expand. He starts to explain really like in more in depth of how he created us and what he wants us to do. And he wants to know that we can trust him. When we look at the first 25 verses, this is trying to answer the question number one of where do we come from? So right now we understand who has created us and what he's capable of doing and that we can fully, fully trust that he has a plan for us. And so now what God's making, he's making very big claims on us as humanity when he creates us. So when when he slows everything down and says that we are the pinnacle of creation, it is not because of anything that we have done, but it's because we are the first part of creation that can actually have a relationship with God, be in full, unrestrained communion with him. And that's why we are considered the pinnacle of creation. He shows us that he cares so much about us because of two major claims that he makes about us. So first of all, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So right there and then, he uses something so powerful. He's using his actual words to explain how he sees us. When you look at everything in the first 25 verses, you see that he said after each day, um, he said it was good. It was good, it was good. So being like, yeah, I made this and it was good. And so, but when we come into the picture, he he steps back and he's like, now this is very good. So what does it mean when it says like, let us make man in our image after our likeness? And what does it actually mean? We have the God, the all like powerful creator that has said that he has created us to image and to reflect his glory, to be able to have taste of his characteristics. And now we can look at that as as just a characteristic of who we are and to be loved and known by that fact. How many of you spend every day thinking like, man, this person said this terrible thing about me. I'm saying terrible things about myself. I don't see myself as good. Like, what's the point? I'm useless. I'm a mistake. But how can you think that when the God that just did all of this said that like, I made you to reflect me, so when you're saying that you are worthless, are you then saying that I'm worthless? Words are so powerful. I know that for me, I get so uplifted every time I get a compliment, every time someone says something kind about me, but I've also had times in my life where people have said really hurtful things, called certain things out, and I just feel broken. Words hold a lot of weight, so when God says that we're very good, this is huge. But the big thing that I want to get at when it comes to our identity of being reflections of God and his glory is that it's not just a characteristic. It's actually a commission, a charge. When you have an identity, a lot of the time what comes with that identity is a task to be able to do something. 
So right after, after God says he made us after his own image and his likeness, he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And he goes on to explain like that we need to subdue it and rule over it. So God not only just says that we are special to him and that we're important that we reflect him, but that means that we actually have a charge of something that we need to do. He created humanity and he's like, I'm going to have a relationship with you and I'm going to allow you to rule over what I've created. I'm now, tr and I'm trusting you with everything that gives me glory. For me, I know that someone is super important to me and I care about deeply and I trust them when I trust them with something that means a lot to me. And this is something that's super, is like really superficial, but it's like, you know that I trust you and I love you if I let you play my guitars because I know I'll trust you that you're going to care for it, you're going to respect it, you're going to use it well, and you're going to love on it. So when God commissions us to take care of everything that he holds dear, that should show how important the claims he's making on us are. And one thing is when we have to rule, when, when he tells us to rule, it's such, a, it's such an important task, but the thing is, he also, he's going to give us a chance to understand or to make a choice of how we kind of want to rule it. He wants to give us choice. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into that, but we're going to go um, move into Genesis chapter 2, just verses 1 to 3, where God's going to talk about Sabbath, where it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So here, God is, is saying, after he's created everything, he's pretty much, he created this new system called like Sabbath, where he then first demonstrates it to us, where he's like, okay, everything that I've made is perfect in the way that I want it to be. I have the role that I'm supposed to have. Humanity has the role it's supposed to have. And what I'm going to now do is I'm going to now show you my role fully, but I'm going to take a step back and I'm going to sit at the helm. I'm going to sit on the throne and be in charge of it all. I'm going to oversee it all. He creates a system for us today. He want, I remember talking with um, Chinch a while ago, and he was talking to me about the idea of Sabbath was just blowing his mind, and he explained it to me, and it totally changed the way I even view Sabbath, where God makes this system because he knows that being able to give God the control and allow him to allow his plan to be fulfilled is going to be our, our Achilles heel. It's going to be the, our biggest downfall is because we're not going to be able to give up any, of con any control. So when we look at Sabbath for ourselves, it's when we, it's supposed, we're supposed to take a day to, to take a step back and just allow God to do his thing. No matter if you're doing something that's great, you're doing something that's bad or whatever, like even if when for Chinch and I in ministry, like we're doing great things, we're doing it for God, we're trying to point people to Jesus, but it's like, okay, we're supposed to actually prove to God what we believe and that we believe that he has control by taking a step back and being like, God, I give you this time because no matter what I do, 
your will is going to be done nonetheless. And I know for me that a huge part of my testimony has something to do with the idea of Sabbath and giving complete control of the plan over to God. Um, I shared it a while ago when we did the worship testimony night, and uh, it mainly has to do with the fact that in my life, in early, like in elementary school and high school, I went through a bunch of tough things. There was bullying, there was verbal and physical abuse, and all that caused me to con constantly worry, to, to hold on to everything that I could possibly control, to be like, okay, I want my relationship to go like this, I want to do this, do this, I want it in this timing, and all this, and if I couldn't keep control of every situation, I would worry so much that I would actually get like humongous, just like stomach pain, and I ended up having such a strong pro or big problem with worry that I had constant pain for about three to four years of my life. And it was, it was debilitating. It hindered me from actually having life, doing anything like that. And uh, the big part where God really stepped in, where my life fully changed and I was able to give my whole life to him was the fact when um, I was able to be like, hey God, I can't take this anymore. No matter how much I try and take everything under in control and have my plan and have it be my definition of what I want my life to be like when I gave it all to him and said just use me take everything that I have because I can't do it any longer from that point on the pain was gone and so for me I know that there's a huge thing where when we don't when we have the choice for for either choosing to align ourselves with his plan or our own plan, I know there was such a physical change in my life, a positive change when I gave everything up to him. So I want to update you quickly of where we are at in the story. So right now God has made everything perfect the way that he wants it to be, and he has a purpose for us. So we know the question one, like where do we come from? And then when he makes the claims about us, we know our identity, we know what we're charged to do. And so that is the question number two, like who am I? What's my role? And now what's going to happen is everything is perfect. Right now, Adam and Eve in the story of creation, which we'll get into, is like has everything they could ever want. God's created like the Garden of Eden. He's provided them with food, vegetation. He's provided them with his presence. He's with them every, all the time. They could have nothing more. But the huge thing is when we have the chance to, when he gives us the option of how we want to rule, God has his definition of how he wants us to rule creation. But when, he, but when he gives us that choice, which is the tree of life and the knowledge of good, good and evil, we then have the choice of like, are we then going to try and make our own definition of what good and evil is and how we're going to rule the earth? And so when God brings up the Sabbath because he wants to create systems, a reminder for us to give all control to him, he knows that this is going to be really tough for us to do and ultimately, it was our downfall. With Adam and Eve, when they, when they rebelled against God and said, I want to take my life in my own hands, it was when Satan comes in and he tempts them. He tempts them in a way where it doesn't seem so bad. It's like, hey, God's holding out on you for all this, this extra knowledge, this information that you should use. It's like, maybe, maybe if you eat from this tree, it's like, you can actually fulfill your role better. You can do a better job. You can understand how to rule creation better. It's like, why don't you do this? You can be on the same like, playing field as God. And so, okay, cool. It's pretty chill. Like, oh, I'm going to eat the fruit. And so they ate the fruit. 
And that was when everything changed. Adam and Eve then had experienced probably the worst like, consequence that could have happened. When they decided to rebel and take everything into their own hands, they were banished from the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden representing like, the presence of God walking in, in how creation was supposed to be. And when they were banished, what they lost out on, they lost out on being in the presence of God, like the unrestrained, no like strings attached presence of God. And what that actually means is like when sin comes in, it's like being apart from God. When you're apart from God, you're dead. So when they rebelled, they pretty much earned death. They went from life to death. How many of you are struggling right now with trying to give God all the control? What is the one, like your Achilles heel that you just like, God, no, I got this. I can hold on to this. I know better. You don't understand. I can't give it to you. What you're actually doing is hindering yourself. You're debilitating yourself. So what we start to see here is once they were banished from the Garden of Eden, our goal now, what we're trying to aim towards, everything that we want to move back towards is back to the tree of life, back to the presence of God. We want to, once we were there, we were banished, we want to try and get, no, I want back in the Garden of Eden. I want to be back in what, in what God created because I realize what I can do is not good enough. So you're probably thinking, okay, this seems hopeless. We screwed up. We can never do this on our own. What's next? So the more and more that I started to research when it comes to um, the story of creation and the Garden of Eden, something started to really blow my mind the more that I looked into it. I want to I explain to you what the Garden of Eden kind of points to. It starts to point to where we're going and how, more how do we get there. The Garden of Eden kind of represents like the temple, and there's going to be there's multiple temples like throughout like history. Um, so I'm going to bring up some points about the Garden of Eden and show you how it just it connects with so much more that you can ever imagine. So with the Garden of Eden, when they when Adam and Eve were banished to the east, it, it says to the east, and it says the gate was in the east. And at the gate, there were these things called the cherubim. Like, I don't know, like, we don't know too much about them. We know there's these, like, angelic creatures have, like, four faces, like a face of a human, like, ox, like, lion, eagle, something like that. Like, these crazy beings that are guarding the gate. And they've got, they've got these flaming swords to bar humanity from getting back to the Garden of Eden. What we also know is we know that there was, like, a river flowing that had, like, gold in it out of the Garden of Eden. When we know that there's a river, we know there's higher elevation and lower elevation. And so when you know that, you also know that the Garden of Eden is on like a mountaintop or on a mount on a hill of some sorts. And then we also know with the Garden of Eden that the presence of God is in there. So when, we were, when Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden, there ends up being a new temple the new temple that is explained like through the Bible, where it's like the Israelites, where they would go for worship. Um, and uh, so the, the temple that they built had so many similarities to the Garden of Eden, but it represents more like the, the Garden of Eden, but after the effects of when sin comes into the world. 
where we, and when you look at the temple, there's a, uh, the gate is built to the east, and then they've got depictions of cherubim on, like, guarding the entrance. And then they have like, this, like, golden laven that, like, had, like, cleansing water in it that, that flowed from the temple. And we also know that the temple was, like, was in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was on a mount, like, on a mount, on a hill. And we also know that the presence of God was also in the temple, but this part is what's really different. The, the presence of God was in this room that was like to the far west and it was like called the Holy of Holies. It's like where they believe, believe like the presence of God was localized, like it was there. And then in between the whole, the Holy of, sup. Um, and then what happens with, in between the Holy of Holies to where people are, there's like these veil, like this veil, veil of separation. At the veil of separations, like they've got these altars of fire. And the fire is representative of like the flaming swords that the cherubim had guarding the gate um, to the Garden of Eden. So I want to let you know like how crazy the effect is of sin when it came in to our, our presence with God. So with the Holy of Holies, there was only one person that can go into that room at one point in the year to make sacrifices. And this one person was the high priest. And it was so crazy what he had to do to actually go into the Holy of Holies. He had to burn incense in front of his face so that he could, he wouldn't directly look at like the presence or like the image of God. And they also had to tie like a ring of bells around his ankle so that they could hear when he was walking in there. And then also rabbis that explain kind of what the practice was for the high priest when they'd go in there, they believed that, that there was actually a rope tied around their waist. So when they would go in there, if they did anything wrong, they were killed. And so you would, you would hear the bell stop. And all they could do, they couldn't go in, so they would drag him out. They'd drag him out of the Holy of Holies. So that's what we have to go through to try and even be in the unrestrained like presence of God. It's death. But the good news in all this, there's another temple. But this temple comes in a very different way where there was a player, there was a, 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 the hero like of the story was there all the way from the beginning, all of creation points to this person. If you look at John 1, verses 1 to 5, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's this guy. And his name is Jesus. Jesus was there from the very beginning. He was part, like God knew what was going to happen. And he had, and Jesus was there from the onset. He, the word, when they say the word, is actually referring to Jesus. Like Jesus being the word. And so Jesus was with God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the one that had a huge role to play in all creation. If you think of it, when God even, he speaks and breathes life into things, it's like, it's crazy when I think about, like, when they say the word, the word of God was, like, the real agent, and then you look in Genesis chapter 1 how God speaks and things come to be. 
So Jesus, Jesus is in the story. He was there from the very beginning. See, the crazy thing is that God doesn't just eject us out of creation and leave us to rot and die. When we, when we took everything into our own hands, it hurts God and it's sin. And every time we sin, it deserves God's wrath. And God's wrath has to go somewhere. But the thing is, is that he decided to then, instead of just leaving us to die, he comes to dwell with us as Jesus. Jesus is considered like the second Adam, the better Adam, the true Adam. Jesus came and lived a life that was perfect. He did everything that humanity was supposed to do. He aligned himself with what God told him that he was supposed to do. Jesus ended up going to die as a sacrifice for all of us, but that was God's plan for him, and he knew it, and he didn't stray from it. So you think about it, he makes a, Jesus makes a crazy claim in the beginning, or in the New Testament, where he says, I'm going to tear down the temple, and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. So this is what blew my mind. So we've got the Garden of Eden, we've got the temple that humanity has made, but the third temple, where we're going, Think about it, our whole aim is to get back to the tree of life. We have a, a brand new tree of life. We've got, we've got the freaking cross. Jesus has been the whole plan from the very beginning. All creation points and screams to him. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15, 15 to 20, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So what the story of creation is pointing us to, it's pointing us to the fact that if where we're going is back to the presence of God, the presence of God, when, the only way we get that fully back is when we run to Jesus. When we go to the cross and we, and we believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, sacrificing himself for all of our sins so that we become new creations. God had a plan. He had creation the way that it wanted to be. And he knew that we weren't going to do it, perf we weren't going to do it perfectly. So he sends Jesus, and Jesus shows us how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to reflect God, how we're supposed to occupy and unfold creation's potential. So how, how do we get to this end goal? All we have to do is believe in Jesus. All we have to do is accept him as the Lord of our life. To be like, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to point everyone to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only way to bridge us to God. 
So you're probably wondering, okay, what, did, what does new creation look like for me? So God's trying, always trying to restore through the Bible his people, trying to restore everyone to the way that he intended them to be. So when Jesus comes and dies on the cross, we are then clothed in his righteousness. So every time that we sin, we see God, when he looks at us, sees us trying to hold on to our own control, our own plans. He doesn't see our brokenness and sin. He sees Jesus Christ and what he's done. Jesus is now at the right hand of God advocating for us, speaking sweet things about us when we don't deserve it. So that's the answer to what are we supposed to do or how are we supposed to get to the end goal? So now it's kind of like, okay, Daniel, that's sweet. I understand that. That's crazy. That's awesome. I probably heard, maybe I've heard that before. Maybe I haven't. But what does that mean for right now? What does it mean to actually do our role now? So we have to now look back to what God claims about us at the, in Genesis chapter 1, where he says we have to reflect him and image him, and we have to occupy and rule over creation, but in the way that God's defined it. So what does that look like? Do you even know what it means to, Im to be an image of God, to reflect his glory? Are you reading the Bible? Are you understanding what his characteristics actually are? How are we supposed to know without actually spending time with him and reading the Bible to know what we're actually supposed to do, how we're supposed to be a light for people? When it says that we need to rule creation under God's like definition, what it actually means is God's already created everything, but we need to, we're actually supposed to help unfold creation's potential. God does not want us to be idle. He doesn't want us to just sit around and be like, okay, I'm not hurting anyone, I'm not offending anyone, good job gold star kind of thing. He wants us to show what creation's potential is. Let's build great cities, cultures, art. Let's invent things. Let's find ways to help cure people. Let's, let's build strong families, like strong friendships, something that actually glorifies God and points everything to him. We're supposed to occupy all of creation. And one thing that we're called to do by doing that is to share this good news, share the gospel, share the answers to these four questions that everyone's trying to answer. We can't just pretend that things are, wrong, are not wrong. Things are wrong, but the great thing is we don't have to do this on our own. We're not perfect. Jesus is the way that things are going to come back to fruition, going to, creation's gonna be completed through him. All we can do right now is start to slowly bring the kingdom of God down to earth by doing what God's called us to do. Everything that you do is going to point someone either to the cross, to Jesus, or going to point them to the world. I know that Chinch talked about that a while ago, but that sticks in my mind every single day. Every conversation, every word, everything that I do is going to push someone to one side or the other. So what are you doing every single day? What words are you saying to someone? Let's be the people that actually be seen as different. So the people that don't know anything about Christ can be like, wow, that person's different. Why is that person the only one sticking up for this one person that everyone has written off? Why is that person like so creative and just so talented and, and but at the same time so humble? That's what God's calling us to do. 
I wish I could go on more and more and explain it more in depth. But I'm going to call uh, the band back on stage. And uh, if I want you to come out of this with one thing, is that there is a plan from a God that is so powerful and loves you so dearly, has given you a specific role that he wants you to actually follow through on. When he created us, he created us out of love. And now he shows us where we have to go and he wants us to get back to the way that he intended things to be. And how do we do that? We accept Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So, if you haven't aligned yourself to a plan, or you're trying to find different things that you want to figure out what's more important, I should aim, I should go to here, I should do this, do that. Is it giving you life or is it giving you death? Lord, everyone in this room is here for a reason. You have a plan for everything that happens every single day. You love us, you care for us, you've given us roles, you've given us an identity. I pray that people walk out of this room being like, I need to trust you, I need to give you my life. We love you, Lord. Amen.